Hey, welcome to Creative Reset, the podcast that explores... Oh, wait, hold on. So, you ready to do this? Yeah, what are we doing? <laughs> I'm just going to talk to you about, about okay. all the stuff that you do. Uh, should I, I do any, I shouldn't, I mean, I hope I didn't have to do any homework that I was unaware of. No, do you, are you aware of your life? You know, that's a great first question. <laughs> <laughs> mostly, mostly, I don't know if I can draw a line through it, but I know all the things. All right. Well, we're we're gonna. That's all we're gonna do. We're just, we're gonna talk about the thing. So so I'll go ahead and start here. Okay. Although I want to throw that in because I think that was I, I think that's good. But so this week I'm talking with actor, director, writer. What the hell else do you do? Producer. Producer. Uh, curator. I don't know. But you said Billy Bullion, who does all those. You wear a lot of hats, mostly fezzes, yeah. but but <laughs> <laughs> a lot of hats. I own um, fezzes. You know, and I want to thank you for 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 coming today on this auspicious occasion where we're recording. For the record, we're recording less than an hour, well, about an hour or so after the uh, the guilty verdict and the murder of George Floyd. It's both, I guess, somewhat celebratory, but at the same time, you know, melancholy because you know the guilty verdict comes because you know something horrible happened. But right, do you celebrate Holocaust Day or do you? <laughs> You, know, you remember it. I guess you just, you, you know, so we'll just remember, we'll remember today, I suppose. Yeah. So, yeah. And, um, and you know, it's, it's kind of a, it feels like a stake in the stake in the ground of like, okay, this is a, a watershed. I guess it's be, that would be a watershed where it's like, okay, things may re- regress a little, but it feels like this is, we've moved a little bit, moved everything a little bit forward by saying this can happen. You can be arrested and convicted of murdering somebody while you're on duty as a police officer. That's, that's good to know. Yes. You, you said you just got home from work. What, what do you do? Well, this is me getting home from work. Hey, okay. Hey, welcome home. <laughs> yeah. Cause I've been working from home for since June. Well, since the pandemic started and then they laid everybody off and then they brought us all back. So since June, I've been working from home officially again. Um, I work um, as an editor for a cosmetology education company. So I'm editing books and and other materials and proofreading and doing a little bit of writing and stuff like that to pay my bills. Okay. So you you still have a day job? I do have a day job and it's during the day. Um, (laughs) All right. Well, that's good. So let's start with, you know, I talked about all your hats and I made fun of your fezzes. The only reason I know about the fezzes is that is the, is Billy Bullion's cocktail hour. So maybe we should start with that. Tell tell us about Billy Bullion's cocktail hour. Billy Bullion's cocktail hour. Okay. So one of my longtime collaborators, Sid, Sid Feldman, whom I also started the conspirators with my theater company, we kind of, when the pandemic hit, we're like, well, you know, let's just do something. I'm getting, you know, we're feeling like we weren't contributing, weren't going through our regular routine, which is to panic about deadlines and get a show up and, and things like that. And he said, look, it'll be easy. We'll just do a Zoom TV on Facebook and, and uh, you'll just be your charming self. And I said, oh, sounds easy. He says, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll write the thing and I'll get, you know, we'll get guests and, and we'll play a record and you'll make a cocktail. And, we'll, and I said, well, I don't know. Okay. Great. What do we call it? He goes, I don't know. Billy, Billy Bullion's cocktail hour. Okay. 
And of course, it turned out to be a lot more work than that initial conversation. No. <laughs> what do you, whatever do you mean? Oh, gee. Well, you know, <laughs> you don't just sit there in front of your computer and, and, and do this and get an audience magically. There was advertising to be done. There was cameras to be pointed. <laughs> there, was, there was people to be contacted. So there was a lot more prep. So, you know, it ended up being a weekly Sunday night show, something for people, you know, the whole impetus behind it was to give people something to do other than go out and spread the plague. Not so much catch it. We'd like people to stay home and not spread it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we you know give you a little entertainment that you can sit down and watch. And yeah, that was that was the point of it. Yeah, I think I watched, I think I've seen most of your, I think I've seen most of them. Wow. You're, you and Sean have, like, are the, <laughs> the only two besides me. <laughs> and even then, that's questionable. <laughs> yeah, what's that? I haven't seen the whole show. I always, I always, I fall asleep by the end by having too many cocktails. So let's talk about theater then for a minute. You haven't yeah. been able to do that for a while, but what, what goes into mounting a play from, because with all your hats? Yeah, gee. Well, just pick, um, pick the last one that you did. The last live show we did was the Ayn Rand's It's a Wonderful Life as performed by the conspirators under the direction of Debbie Wasserman Schultz or Rand Schultz, as we called it. And it was a kind of a review of a lot of the short pieces we'd done, the, the conspirators had done in the past, kind of sewn together as a Christmas special hosted by Debbie Wasserman Schultz. <laughs> <laughs> in the end of 2019 was, you know, a good a good target for a joke now no one probably no one remembers who she is so we'll probably change the host the next time we do it um but to do that show it was get the gang back together the, the conspirators are a, a loose group of people who perform together and work in the specific theatrical style that the conspirators work in which is called the style and are able to then without extra training and rehearsal jump in and perform in, in in that style which is you know kind of a neo commedia dell'arte kind of stuff that we do yeah i did um, see i saw i saw one of the shows that you when when you were when you were taking a night off you, you guys ran which one did i see oh the accidental death of a black motorist i saw yeah yeah so you saw that kind of the white face uh, kind of look the satirical scenery and, and cost you know design elements and then that percussive kind of you know looking to your right and to your scene partner who's talking and then looking back to you know that whole choreographed stuff and so that's the style so for Rand Schultz we just you know we do big shows and we do small shows and the, that was a small show so we just rented a hall threw 15 people on stage and messed around and I think we did that just two performances but it was yeah it was it was loads of it was you know it, we I guess I would call it rough theater whereas accidental death was more of a you know, more, more clean and more professional, more immediate. This was more of just a party and this crazy thing is happening on stage. So we'll tell then then talk about talk about accidental death because that I mean that might yeah. be rather poignant here. Yeah. So that was we were doing we, we had done two full shows before that one. And each one is like, you know, Sid and I will get together and say, well, what do we want to talk about for the next show? And the first two were basically parodies of the Trump paradigm. And by 2018, it was like, I don't want to hear about him anymore. We don't want to talk about Trump. We all know how bad it is and how hypocritical it is. It's not even funny. All the irony in the administration was no longer funny. It was just there. It was just kind of reality. 
Meanwhile, uh, the Laquan McDonald tape had come up. We changed mayors and we're kind of like, I, you know, and I just, I'm a big fan of the portmanteau as a, as a, as a poetic form. And I'm like, what if we did accidental death of a black motorist? And it's just an idea, just as a concept that came to me. And we started talking about it because we looked at Dario Foe's play, accidental, accidental death of an anarchist had been done by other theater companies who kind of work in the style, the Actors Gang in LA and New Crime in Chicago in the 90s. You know, Sid and I agreed there, there, Chicago, you know, in America, we don't have an anarchist problem. We have a police killing black motorists problem. So we updated Foe's play, which Foe always said in, the, in his notes, you must adapt this play to the city it's being done in. You must, it's like, <laughs> it was like one of his directions is to fuck with it. I gave the idea to Sid. He kind of worked on an adaptation and we said, all right, how we work is we need to raise a certain amount of money to know that the show is a go, right? So we don't have like a constant budget that we just draw from. It costs, I don't know, around $20,000 to put on a show. And so we want to get close to half of that before we pull the trigger and put deposits on space and stuff like that. So right. we worked on that. While Sid was working on a script, we did workshops in the style over, over the summer previous to continue growing our actors' abilities and also to bring in new folks, which we did. We brought in like five, side note, apparently Texas State University has, has classes in the style. We had no idea. This whole group of five friends came from there and they all already knew what they were doing into our workshop. I was like, what the hell's happening here? And <laughs> Two of them had major roles in, in the in the in the show, so the accidental death. So that was kind of cool. So we got the, all that going, and then we get the script, and we rent a space, and we hire designers, and you know, just like putting on any show, right? Um, and uh, rehearse it, and do the tech, and then open it and publicize it. You know, so I'm you know as artistic director and director, I'm kind of wearing about five hats. Sid is author and producer and tech director wearing a few more hats hired publicist so let them wear that hat <laughs> uh, so do you yeah, when, and, when you're raising the money is that is that through pre-sales or how do you or are you just no, going um, around with it with with one of your hats turned upside down <laughs> <laughs> i take off one hat i'm wearing the fez underneath but now i'm holding a hat we were we've been most successful on just the direct donation we're a not-for-profit we formed a not-for-profit company a few years back. And so donations are tax deductible and we just ask. And frankly, you know, Sid and I also lean in, reach into our pockets. And if we don't have enough, we pull it out. You know, we make the donation. We've only got a couple of contacts enough to like get the ball rolling. And we generally have been carrying a surplus over from the last show. So that's a little seed money. And then we started getting the Illinois Arts Council grant. And then we started getting the Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events grant. And so then there's a little bit more in there. So it, it, yeah, it's pretty much the direct ask. We usually don't sell tickets in advance because by the time we've put the deposit on the space, it's it's so close to opening. Like we, we the money would be helpful, but it wouldn't make or break whether we're doing the show. We right. are doing the show at that point. Okay. All right. I, I, yeah, I also noticed, I didn't know this about you, you're also a television actor, as is your dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. 
<laughs> which now I have to now I have to ask about 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 Captain Steve Rogers. How did that go? Well, Captain Steve Rogers, my dog who goes by Steve, is he still up here? No, he was he was over behind me chewing chewing and making a lot of noise. I'm like that's going to sound really good on this interview. He is a Boston Terrier. He's five years old, and when he was trained, his trainers you know knew how smart he was, and they were going to do I guess a a benefit show that kind of showed off their training organization as well as made money for I think a retirement home in Evanston so he did a like they did an extra month of training on him for like circus tricks so he can jump through hoops and give a high five and get a hug from another dog and you know these little cute little tricks and that was like three years ago three and a half years ago and then I don't know I saw an ad somewhere hey register your dog with this agency in case they want to do a commercial so I did and like every year they'd call once or twice and say Hey, are you available next Wednesday? Is Steve available next Wednesday to do a commercial? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then on Monday we get a call. Yeah, they went, they went with the golden retriever. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this, yeah. So this has happened like three times. They're like, all right, fine. The golden retriever. And because that was as an actor, that was always my thing too. They always went with the golden retriever. Yeah, I, yeah, I saw that. A lot of yeah, a lot of your credits were were golden retriever. So so anyway, this time, actually, the director of this commercial for a, a raw style dog food had a Boston Terrier and was a big Boston Terrier fan. And so it kind of gave Steve a couple of legs up on, on getting this part. Yeah, so Steve got a, got a gig on a commercial and went in and they put him on a green screen and, and had him sit there and then look over his shoulder. And then... <laughs> And then they said, okay. And then he'd get up and he walked over to the food and ate the food. <laughs> and then he walked off. <laughs> how many takes, how many takes did he get? It, well, it took three for the eating the food because the first time he didn't, we've been starving him all day and telling him to stop as we as we taught him the trick. So he didn't think he was supposed to eat it. So he got up, <laughs> okay, and then he walked right past it. And it was like, <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble again for this. <laughs> you guys, you guys have tricked me more than once. Exactly. And then the, the the good one was he kind of did this elliptical cross to the bowl, and then kind of snipped it and then went, oh yeah, and then went after it. It was like, okay, that was, that's acting. He was yeah. acting. Yeah, it was. It was. There was this subtle thing at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little moment. And then a thought process, and then an end. Yeah. yeah, you need that moment. You need that before moment. It was great. It was just. Like, I mean, it, it was, it's. Yeah, it's, it's like not going to be as interesting. But but tell us about your your television stuff. Well, I haven't. I mean, I haven't done a heck of a lot. I you know all my peers always do more than I do. Have I even had? I haven't had a part on a series. I've done some commercials, mm -hmm. um, and I was background you know, what we call extras in Chicago. I was a background artist in a show in LA called Shark, which was James, 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 James. I can't remember the famous actor, <laughs> James Woods. Wow, um, James oh, Woods. okay. <laughs> Sorry, I can't remember James Woods. That's, um, that's quite all right. Oh, all I remember is I got to meet Jerry Ryan because she was in that show. I was like, oh. Finally, my dream has come true. Um, so I did three days on there because my sister worked at their prop department and so got me a gig. So I flew out to LA and did a show. TV acting, or, yeah, I hadn't done a lot. Commercial acting, a few, you know, nothing to make me a millionaire. I haven't done that McDonald's spot that earns you enough money for the rest of your life. Done some voiceover. I always find that in that I, you know, I'm primarily a theater artist. So I always, in, I always get the problem with casting directors saying, no, no, less, less. 
don't be so big. And I'm like, I'm trying. I'm trying. I roll my eyes, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was. That's what I was going to ask. Was what were the what are the big differences between between the two? Yeah, the big difference for on camera is just you do nothing, and the camera really does all the work. So all the subtle little eye looks or whatever do all the work. You don't have to go, hey, who's that guy over there? You know, <laughs> just like while hitting and, a drum. <laughs> uh, you know, there's no, there's nobody cueing me to turn. Yeah, and and you do it over and over and over again, so it's more methodical. And then they, you do it over and over again, and then they move the set to the other, they move the camera to the other side of the room and do it again over your back of you. You do it again so that they can cut back and forth when they edit. And uh, there's certain just, you know, when you're doing it on camera, you usually have a giant staff of people helping you. And so wardrobe is there and makeup is there and, and people are doing stuff that you don't have to do. All you do, you show up, you say the thing they asked you to say, and then you stand on a little X made of tape on the floor because <laughs> that's where they've measured that the camera needs to be. And, and then they say, okay, that's a wrap. And then you go, Right. That means I get to go. And then you go. Whereas theater, there's like this whole event to it. There's this whole eventness, right? You're getting there and you're getting ready for the event. And then you hear the buzz and there are blah, 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 people talking. And then you're talking, you see your castmates. They're all there because we're all doing this together. We're conspiring. And then curtain opens or whatever the lights go on and you do it and then it finishes and you've done something together and then you're done. And then you do it again tomorrow. So film is a lot more, more, yeah. What do you need this? Okay. Here's that. And then, okay. What else do you need? <laughs> what? Okay. So let's talk about your, your, your journey. How, how did you get started even in, in theater? Wow. I, you know, I'd always been a fan of it since I've seen theater. I think my debut, this is funny. This has been because I I'm what you would call a character actor generally never really got the leading role, but was always really good at, things that were difficult to do. In third grade, we did Cinderella and my really good looking brother got to play the handsome prince and I was the narrator because <laughs> I was the only one who could, who could focus and, and put a few sentences together. So I was the narrator and Andy Andy got the princess. He was, he was the prince. That was third grade and that was that, fun. Has that changed? Does he still get the Does he still get the princess? And you? Uh... Oh yeah, always. No, he is. He is. He is what you would call a handsome man and very interesting, introverted, handsome man. You know, the people he just gets. He in the nineties, I want to say, when he lived in Philadelphia, was a practicing attorney and got a modeling gig for the cover of like the Philadelphia Inquirer or Sunday Magazine. <laughs> so okay. you know, like a lawyer model, you know. Okay. By, not a catch by any means. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so third after third grade, and then I would see plays, and I always thought it was it would be fun to do that. And I took acting and 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 theater arts in high school. Everybody, because I'm a loud mouth, people would always say, "Oh, you know, you should you should try acting. You'd be really good at that." And so I kind of did. And then I uh, realized I wanted to do it when I was in high school, and and started doing some stuff that was really fulfilling and got to college and then worked my way into the major. I didn't get into the major right off the bat. And then I discovered, you know, I love acting, but I want to act in things that I want to act in. So you don't have as much agency as an actor as other theater artists. So then I started directing because I would, no one was directing the things I wanted to act in. 
So I, I've directed things that I, I mean, I directed my, I've directed myself maybe like 10 times in my life too. I've been in these shows, you know, I really enjoy that <laughs> kind okay. of company, company leadership, I guess. If you will. And uh, so I did that. And then, you know, after college, I kind of did a year of grad school at a Chicago institution, who shall be nameless, which was a nightmare year. Well, we're, hold on. Where did you, where did you do, do your undergrad? UCLA. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I went out to California. I did most of my growing up in in the Chicago area in Evanston. Actually, was in third grade. I lived in Caracas, Venezuela. So we were, it was at the bilingual school that we did Cinderella, which was kind of cool. Anyway, so I decided I wanted to be a director because no one was directing the things I wanted to act in. And then I kind of had to become a producer because no one was producing the things I wanted to direct. Enter enter the time that you and I met. You know, I had started a theater company, Sliced Bread Productions, way back in that day for that same kind of reason, because I, I really approach theater as, as an artist, not as an, an, well, maybe as an entertainer, but certainly not as a career path. I know you don't make any money on it. You know, that's rare. It's right. Glamorous when you do, but my my object has always been to make art so to do that i would start my own company or put on put up my own show and whatever money i can scratch together to do or collaborators i can find yeah so that's that's been my journey and then well how how fearful was that making that move saying okay you know what i'm going to do this thing nobody's you know casting me in in the things i want to do nobody's allowing you know no one's producing the things i want to direct so you know how you know, nerve wracking or scary was it to, to sort of make that that leap there? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, the first time back when in my 20s, it wasn't as a very big leap just because you're fearless at that age. So it's like I already know I'm going to wait tables. <laughs> <laughs> I already know that I'm not going to pay rent. But, you know, Goodman Theater is not going to tap me and say, hey, we need you to have a full-time salary making art. And I said, oh, okay, I'll go do that. That's usually people who don't really want that, that get that, okay, now I'll go make television and thanks for investing no bitterness. So it wasn't really scary as the only, the fearful part is really, you know, trying to get the show up on time. Because when you plan a show, you plan putting up a piece, you've got an opening night in the American model. You've got an opening night, you're paying rent on your rehearsal space to get you to that opening night and then you're paying rent on, you know, so you, you don't have the Soviet model where you just sort of, you know, we've been rehearsing this thing for two and a half years. I think it's ready for an audience. So how about, how about next month? And so then you, there's no pressure. The American model is that you got to get it up there. So the scary part is like any other time and money based project, can you get it up there? And it's literally your ass on the line if you can't, because <laughs> someone will be there watching you fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened? What happened with sliced bread then? Mm. So we did, I think, over over about twenty years, off and on. I don't think I ever did more than a show a year. Usually, and then sometimes two or three years would go by, and then we do another show. So I'd say they were we were active maybe for about twelve years, and then it took a break, and then did a few more shows at the in the two thousands. What was the question? <laughs> what happened oh, to sliced bread? What happened? Yeah, so we did like the conspirators, we did a few shows that had a, a good group of people. And then that group of people kind of fell away. And then early 90s, I got a, a real day job at the Museum of Science and Industry. So I didn't have a lot of 
time to lean into doing to producing so the shows got a little sparser then i left the museum and became a freelancer and then they started coming back and did a few more shows about three or yeah five more shows after that in the late 90s and early thousands and then decided you know i'm tired of trying to lift this thing and just kind of put it away okay it wasn't i mean it was it was a vehicle to do the work i wanted to do you know it was useful and it and it as an entity, it was fine. And then I got old enough to go, ah, I can't do this all by myself. Forget it. Forget it. <laughs> so what happened? So like, how did you end up slice bread gets shut down? What do you, what do you do with yourself at that point? Well, let's see. At that point, I, I kind of gotten back into acting and I was really enjoying other people worrying about the directing and the, and the producing. So I did shows that kind of mid-level non-equity theater. So like Oak Park Festival Theater, actually that's an equity. That's a, that's a, lower level equity theater, but I did a show at City Lit. I did a four year run at the prop theater of His Honor. You know, that show just kept going and going and going and going, you know, and show up, meet your castmates, get a check, do a pretty good show. That was fun. Did a show at Lifeline, you know, the, sh the places that, that are kind of that tier. So did you and, ever, did you ever go equity? Did you ever join no. the union? Okay. No, I like doing, I like doing plays. Yeah. That, I've talked to a couple of people who both you went equity early and then that was it that they were done yeah uh, um that that's the thing if you if you the best way to stop doing theater in chicago is to join the union unfortunately yep. now if you're a constantly working actor or a stage manager who are always constantly working yes equity is a really good union to be a part of because you know you get your insurance and you get your minimums and you get your cot and you get all the things but then try to do your friend's show or try to do your friend's staged reading. You can't, they, you know, Chicago's nuts like that. Yeah, um, I mean, it's just not big enough to support that, that many equity people, I would think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. The other thing is uh, LA used to have this thing called equity waiver. So you could do a really small show. If you had less than nine, less than hundred seats, if you had a 99 seat house, then equity would give equity actors a waiver and they could do it for 25 bucks a week or some some small pittance or whatever just to keep working in chicago never had that and chicago was you know you know a union town historically yeah. and so yes yeah, so many people have yeah there's not enough equity work that pays enough to live on for everybody to be in it yeah and then conversely so say you're not doing you know, you don't have a whole season at the Goodman Slated or, or whatever, you're not in Wicked, then you can't do anything else. You just can't do theater. Yeah. yeah. So I, I didn't really have a need to be in pay dues to, to, to live that life. Right. I jumped the gun and I uh, asked you about the uh, the pandemic and, and Billy Bullion's cocktail hour and all that uh, sort of thing. And I wasn't supposed to, I was supposed to wait until now. Wait, aren't you editing? Cut that part of the conversation and move it to the... I could, but I don't want to. <laughs> i've already answered this i'm out of here okay no but I, but I want to ask you so the 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 sort of follow-up question that i want to ask you is the pandemic was an obstacle and besides bully bullion's cocktail hour were there any other opportunities or any learning opportunities that you found during the pandemic sure a couple different things all having generally to do with you know using this this online medium one was well Three things, including Billy Billion's Cocktail Hour, which you can still watch previous episodes on Billy Billion's Cocktail Hour Facebook page. Just scroll down and 
watch a video. Also, other many friends were developing scripts. And normally, one of the, the stages when you're writing a play is to get everybody around the table and read it. So that Zoom made that very, very possible and very fun to do, actually, especially when we can't see our friends. It was kind of good to, you know, see 12 little boxes on the stage and do a read through of a play together. That was cool. And then, I, you know, the enforced solitude, because I'm kind of a social person, I, I like to spend time out. So a year of not doing that, granted, my health problems also mandated that, but I started writing a couple plays, which I haven't done in a while. So that, you know, it's like, okay, you're confronted with your keyboard and, and nothing else. It kind of gives you the parameters you need to, to make some more art. Because I, I, I do enjoy writing. I just have trouble sticking with it and focusing because other things get my attention. And, you know, directing is much more my primary art. And then the other thing, the conspirators had annually done what uh, we call the Jesus Christ Superstar Do-It-Yourself Messiah Complex which is a, a kind of a vaudeville celebration of the album of Jesus Christ Superstar. And we do that every year on Easter. And we had to cancel it Easter 2020 because we were planning on doing it live and we had it all set up to go. And then that was like April, I think, <laughs> I think that was exactly a year ago. I think in 2020, wasn't April, wasn't April 20th Easter? Anyway, we had to cancel it. And uh, this year, after seeing a few people's kind of online fundraisers and things like that, I realized, oh, I can do this live. And, you know, it was a curated series of vignettes that having to do with each track of Jesus Christ Superstar, the album, not the, not the play, not the movie. And, uh, and so people just submitted videos that they made or sang like to, to like a karaoke track. And, and then we used the software, like a gaming software, so we could cut back and forth to me and then who I was always, you know, I'm always the host and stuff. So we were able to bring that back this year on the fourth, which was Easter. So that was kind of cool to, I, I'd always been skeptical of everybody doing these kind of online theater. It's like theater is supposed to be a bunch of the people all together in the same room experiencing the thing. But I think there is something to it. I don't think it'll be attractive when you can watch either a full, you know, a first run film on your television, which you can now, or go out to a play in a theater. But I do think there is something to be said for the live experience that kind of the Zoom, I, I keep calling it Zoom, but that's just a product that's, that the online Facebook live experience or whatever offers to an audience. How will technology, how will you continue to use technology in the future? You know, once we get back, do you see technology playing a role? Sure. I think a lot of theaters and a lot of theater artists are going to make use of it because it's all the bugs are out now. All the bugs have been worked out about how to do stuff on Zoom and what you can do and what you can't do on Zoom. Everybody's got, you know, has learned it all. So I think people will will use it. Me personally, my art form is that same room. My I, I, I can do Something like if you and I were doing a dialogue and 500 people were watching, I can do that. It's just not interesting to me as an artist. So I might use technology, at least the technology that we've discovered or come to use a lot during the pandemic. I might use it for meetings, like technical meetings. We don't all have to go to a place and talk about stuff when we're talking about design. Right. Uh, I would miss that. 
I would miss buying around for the group of, of designers, but designer, you know, designers are busy and their designers don't want to waste, don't want you to waste their time. Actors love it when you waste their time. But yeah, you know, I might use I might use Zoom for meetings. I might, I mean, we're all already reading our scripts in rehearsal off of devices. You know, you don't print up 10, 100 page scripts anymore. That's all, that's over. I imagine you could do a read through but I wouldn't enjoy it. I think you, a lot of people are going to make use of that, but I, I wouldn't be into it. Do you think if you were going to do a show, do you think a read through, like a live, you know, read through would be something to sort of whet the audience's appetite for that? This is what's coming, or well, do you think that would? That's a great idea. I mean, a promotion using it promotionally sounds kind of cool. So you could stage a live promotional event. That would be cool. You're <laughs> <Whatever>. welcome. <laughs> Um, that's a great idea. I think everybody has, has also really toned up their ability to make video, make homemade stuff. So I think the things in people's artistic arsenal now include elementary editing, you know, and, and sending in self-taping auditions and things like that. You know, I might do, instead of headshots, I might ask for, send me a video. Yeah, yeah. That a lot of actors would be able to do something like that, yeah. But the in terms of the the uh, art form itself, eh, not as much. But the process and the surrounding elements, for sure. Okay, all right. So we're we're, we're maybe starting to come out of this. Yeah, people are getting yeah. vaccinated. I believe you're. Today's my, today's my two weeks after the second shot, so I am vaccinated. Oh, that's right. You have a uh, you've opened a kissing booth on, yes. on your on, in front <laughs> of dollar. your house. A dollar per <laughs> yeah, and psych psychiatric help. It's like Lucy's and Lucy's kissing booth. But yeah, but with I'm, inflation, it's up to a dollar. What the what the hell? <laughs> yeah, you get what you pay for, you know. So yeah, so we're you know we're 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 starting to you know we're starting to come out of it. I, I hope I think it looks like that. So what is what's the way forward for for you? What do you guys what do you guys have on the on the horizon? Yeah, well, I guess we should get together and talk about that. I mean, that's. We were kind of eyeballing the late fall, thinking that if everything went well, that's when we could get an audience to sit in a room together to see our stuff after a period of being able to rehearse that stuff, which might begin in the summer. We'll see if that's reality. I don't, I'm not ready to put money down on, on renting a space for even November. You know, I'm like, mm, I don't know. You got that Indian variant. You got the Brazilian variant. You got some variants happening. What's going to happen there? But we are going to keep marching as if that's what we can do. And if we have to delay and postpone, we have to. It's not going to hurt us competition-wise because the entire industry is going to be doing what we're doing. So I'm not going to be the guy that opens a show even though it's not safe. Everybody's like, how can I sneak into the market before everyone else does with my show? It's like, you know, I'm not that guy. So yeah, we'll probably get a meeting together and, and we'll, we'll do a post-mortem on the online show that we just did. And I guess the first step would be we'd, we'd have our workshops in the summer if we can and, and start working together. But everyone has to be vaccinated. Everybody has to be safe and everybody has to be comfortable with it. You know, right. it's not yep. like I'm not paying actors $100,000 a year and they better just fucking get used to it. It's more like, no, we, you know, should we do this? Okay. Someone might say, I'm out. I can't do it. Oh, all right. Yeah. 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 yeah so, so, but you've got, you've got, you've got plays in the works. You've got stuff that you are writing. I'm assuming that the other people in the conspirators have been kind of doing other things. 
So do you know what you, do you know what you want to do? And that in, if, if all things were, were perfect? Well, if all, thi- if all things were perfect, we kind of gave up on trying to do a big show this year, just because the machinery for that is so big and it would be almost a moment's notice once we discovered, oh crap, we're doing a show. So we'll probably do a small show. And, and if that happened early enough, if that happened September, October, then we might follow up with the Christmas show in December. That would be great. Thematically, I think the first one would probably be, I imagine there being short sketches, like maybe five, six, seven, eight short sketches kind of slapped together for fun. So it'd be more of a cabaret experience around a theme. Maybe the theme is coming out of a pandemic. Oh, I that's don't good. Know. That's good. <laughs> you can bring back, you can bring back the coach. The, what was the, what was the coach called? Coach Carla. Coach Carla, the re-entry, oh, re-entry. Re-entry coach Carla, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Just how to put on deodorant, because we're going to come back. I've always been toying with Rip Van Winkle as a as a, as a a starting point, too. It's like, what happens if you fell asleep and then woke up and there we were in the middle of a pandemic, or a pandemic had just happened and the world was different, you know? So I, I was playing with sketches kind of related to that. If our next big show, Sid's got something he's writing that's kind of based loosely on Duran Mott's The Visit. I've got a Macbeth that I'm looking at, Chicago Cop Macbeth, oh. all performed by every every member of the cast is a Chicago Cop. Wow. Do you, do you know that many Chicago Cops? No, no, no. Everybody's playing. A, it's like, it's as if, <laughs> yeah, I got, 20, I got 20 who are raring to go. I got 20 Chicago police officers. Yeah, because they, 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 they're just a devil may care group of people. <laughs> Let's go do a play. No, no. The idea is that all the characters are Chicago cops. Okay. But the, hey, the script's written for that. But, you know, I would update all the th- references to kings and dukes to, you know, superintendents and and, and, and sergeants. And sergeants. it's all done in Chicago accent. Oh, perfect. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds good. I look forward to seeing it, even though I I, I won't because you because you won't because you won't avail yourself of the technology. So I'll be well, you know be a thousand we miles could away. Stream it, you know, but it's just not the same experience. So it's maybe, not. It's maybe not. We'll stream it just for you. We'll okay. do a private stream. All right. All right. I'll I'll keep my eye out for that. Yeah. And so so you know well good luck with that and thanks for thanks for coming on and and this was this was fun. I mean we didn't have cocktails or anything like that. Well we'll just Next go time. do that now. Um, right. you know. and I'll edit them in. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll put the cocktails in in post. How's that? Right. I'll just, I'll stick. How about if I just, I'll just do this. Then you can like, you can just stick, you can just put a glass in my hand. Yeah. That works really well for audio. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, this is audio? <laughs> I took a shower for this. Okay. Well, it's audio for now. If we ever, if we ever, you know, if we ever, if I ever figure out how to, how to edit well and quickly. Cause it, it, you know, cause I have a day job as well. So, you know, and the editing, even the editing, the audio, yeah, you know, yeah. but I'm self-conscious about like touching my nose while we're talking and stuff. And now I'm just like, Oh, it's audio. Yeah. Go ahead. Touch your nose. Go ahead. Go ahead. Touch your nose. I'm going to take off my shirt. I'm just, <laughs> see, now you've made me take off my shirt. <laughs> it's, How's the that's, fez that's, look? that's pretty. How's the fez look? <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. This was fun. Yeah, it was great catching up. I mean, I, I haven't seen you in uh, a, a long time. I, again, you know, I don't do math either. Probably 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. If anybody's interested, the conspirators website is conspirewithus.org. If you want to kind of get pictures of what we do. 
Yeah, we'll, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to put it, you'll, if you can send me all of your, your links, we'll have all the links in the show notes. So, so for the conspirators, we will make sure that we get Billy, Billy Bullion's cocktail hour in there, you know, and then if you've got like, you know, a personal website or anything like that, all the people can go and see you and then, and make sure that you take pictures of yourself, A, without your shirt, B, right, right. with your, you know, with your fez on. So they and, can visualize. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and a cocktail in your hand. Cool. <laughs> all right i'll let you go and and i'll and hopefully i'll you know if i'll i'll be in chicago you know probably over the summer so, so we'll get a drink yeah let's catch up all right all right thanks billy thanks, sir. thanks much all right bye bye i'm pressing leave